to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, COVID, resilience, emergency management, well-being, anything that's relatable to those topics and anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find me on LinkedIn I'm the only Alex Fullick there, so I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to every message I get. And we'll see about getting you on the show or finding someone else to come on the show and talk about the topic you want us to touch on. I also would like to announce I will be speaking at the Continuity Insights Conference on October 4th to 6th this year in Minneapolis. Hopefully it's on site and we get to be face-to-face, but check out that one. And I will also be speaking at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto, December 1st to 2nd this year. So if you're in the Toronto area, come on down and uh, maybe we'll get you on the show. Speaking of the show, today, a lot of you know, uh, especially longtime listeners or viewers, know that I love to read. And I read for entertainment purposes, I read for education purposes, and I've always got two, three books on the go. Well, today's book is the Business Continuity operating system. What the best do differently to achieve success. And today I have the author of that book, Brian Zawada. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. Nice to be here. And this is actually your second appearance. It is. It is my second appearance. Uh, so some people might want to go back to some old uh, Voice America episodes. Uh, Brian came on and chatted with us uh, for about 15, 20 minutes, I think it was, at one of our live broadcasts at uh, DRJ in Phoenix. If I recall, it was quite a chuckle because every time you came over to talk, somebody called you back or something. I remember it was about something like that. Five or six times before my executive producer finally snagged you and said, "Come over here." <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to have you on the show. Now I know who you are. I know we've met before, um, and I've got people literally around the globe. Mm-hmm. Can you take a minute and uh, tell us exactly uh, about yourself and how you got into the industry? Sure. Um, again, Brian Zawada. Uh, I have been in the industry for, I guess, upwards of 25 years now. And um, like many, I got into it accidentally. Um, I was in the uh, U.S. Air Force. I had done a lot of work around contingency planning. Uh, I was an intelligence officer and got, uh, had the opportunity to do a lot of contingency planning, getting getting from point A to point B quickly and when bad things happen to just that type of thing. And so when I got out of the military, uh, I kind of fell into a risk risk role, technology risk area, and uh, got then accidentally into business continuity, kind of kept parlaying further into that. And before I knew it, you know, business continuity, disaster recovery was my thing. And so I did that in from a consulting perspective for a while. I did it very briefly internally in-house, uh, went back to consulting again, um, eventually founded my own firm. Uh, Evolution Consulting, and uh, 
And then it was just about, uh, I guess it's been about 13 months ago, um, my firm was acquired, merged with two others, and Castellon Solutions was born. And so I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Castellon today. Well, thanks very much for sharing your time. Obviously, uh, COO, you're a busy guy, so I'm glad uh, you've got the, the time for us today. I really oh, appreciate my pleasure. it. It's great to be here. So let's jump in straight about the book. Sure. Over 25 years, what took so long? Why, why, well, why did it take uh, so long to write a book? And what were your goals in writing it? Yeah, I, I think, number one, um, it, the book actually followed something a little bit different. So it was probably, I want to say it was about the 2016 timeframe when, uh, you know, and again, still part of evolution, got together and thought that there are a lot of organizations that are very, very successful in this space. And then there's still others that have been challenged and still others that haven't even really gotten started formally. And so uh, I embarked upon a bit of a research project. It wasn't a scientific research project, but it was really getting out there and talking to people. You know, like you, I do a lot of presentations. So I was getting out there and I, in a lot of these group presentations, I'd ask a few questions uh, to the audience. And I started seeing themes and trends. And, you know, probably the biggest question I'd ask, it was just a simple three-parter, which was, you know, what are you struggling with? Is it struggling with getting started, designing your effort, or just keeping momentum, keeping the energy going? And we called it the kind of the 76% club because 76% plus or minus two, but it was always the average 76 every month was the third, keeping momentum, staying engaged, keeping that energy level up. And so we worked to unpack that situation from, again, that's 2016, 2017, 2018 timeframe. And what was really interesting was that we started finding that organizations that started, you know, they kind of talked a lot about, you know, programs that ran their program like a business were very, very successful. And we said, well, let's unpack that even a little bit further. And we started figuring out that those that ran the business that had seven core attributes in common typically achieved the best results. And then the, the BCOS or the Business Continuity Operating System was born. And we started sharing that very, very widely in February 2019. We introduced it actually at the Disaster Recovery or the DRI International Conference in Las Vegas that year. And we started slowly. We said, you know, I'm going to promise to um, roll out this book that describes this. And Took a little longer than I thought, uh, but nonetheless, it, it was actually good that it took a little while longer because just like anything, any type of an invention, if you will, uh, we made tweaks. We tested it. We, we made some adjustments. Uh, I was about ready to publish it again, but then Evolution uh, was acquired. So we said, you know, we probably want, we're going to probably get some new branding here. So let's hold tight. Then COVID came. We learned a few more things. Mm -hmm. And so... Thankfully, uh, we got a chance to really uh, get this thing, what I think is getting it right. And now we've got it, you know, out into the world. I'm really excited to share the story of the Felder Corporation and, and the concept of BCOS running a program, again, with focus, with engagement, less, you know, the lesser focus on methodology, if you will. And we can unpack mm -hmm. that a bit here in a moment. But, you know, ultimately, um, it's great to, to, you know, as of right now, getting into the hands of about 400 different people so far. Well, it's a great book. Lots of uh, good information on, in here, that's for sure. And uh, I wish I had uh, <clears throat> followed through on an email that came through after I purchased this. I could have got it for half the price from you guys. But, <laughs> oh, well, that's okay. I still have it, and it uh, sits prominently on the shelf. So, 
Now, you called it business continuity operating system. Mm -hmm. We're used to the term business continuity management system. Mm -hmm. Why did you change the title? Or was there a need to change the title? Yeah, there, were, there was actually two influences. I'll, I'll share them in um, one I'll call insignificant and one that's significant. Insignificant, I thought that the words business continuity management system were out there and they were heavily tied to ISO 22301. And I thought that to avoid confusion, we needed to put a little bit of, a, little bit of daylight between it and what we were trying to convey. Um, the second thing is, is that when we thought about, you know, the label of this and the packaging of it, um, the idea of running the program like a business was significant. Now, I mentioned, you know, at Evolution, you know, this is where it was originally invented. Originally, it started um, taking a life of its own based on our experiences with our clients and the research that we did. Um, there, we also ran our company based off of something called EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. And there, that, that way we ran Evolution, its fingerprint is all over the BCOS. And so, again, some of the attributes I'm sure we'll talk about here today very much influenced not only the, the inquiry when we talked to the best programs out there, but again, we saw some of those characteristics of EOS applying to BCOS, and the rest was history. Now, you wrote this differently. The, the second half of the book, I'd say, would be what you would expect, mm -hmm. you know, talking about BCOS. But the first half is different. It's written uh, as a fable. Yep. Why take that approach? All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question, actually. You mentioned at the beginning when you introduced yourself that you're an avid reader. Have you ever read any of the Patrick Lencioni books? Pat, sorry, Patrick? Patrick Lencioni. Five Dysfunctions of a Team would be his yeah. most popular. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm a huge Patrick Lencioni fan. And, uh, and he's written, I, many people know of five dysfunctions of a team, but I think it's 11, 12 there's, other books. Yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah. And like one, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, I coach a lot of youth sports and I make before my kids go to uh, high school, I make them read the ideal team player, which is a Patrick Lencioni book. And, uh, and every one of his books, two thirds, if not three quarters of it is a business fable, followed by a technical explanation of what the, the reader hopefully learned in that story. I believe storytelling is a great learning technique. And so, you know, and at the same time, I saw a lot of books in our space that were very technical, very, you know, methodology laden. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, you know, there's a lot of great work that's been done on topics from business impact analysis to ISO 22301, so on and so forth. But I thought if I could take a fictitious organization, you know, heavily based on some, many of my experiences and walked the reader through the journey of that organization as it looked at business continuity, I thought that'd be a really good way to be able to um, you know, be a little bit different. And again, I love Patrick Lincioni books and other business fables. And I thought, you know, I'd love to be able to tell us tell a story and hopefully allow someone to learn something from that that technique. Well, it did work because a lot of times I was reading sections of that fab fable and I'm going, God, that could be me. <laughs> I remember that situation. You know, it it which which leads me to my next question. Is the lead character Mike based on anyone in particular? His name is based off of my oldest son, who's Taylor Michael, by the way, oh. but <laughs> 
And, and you'll find that about 80% of the, uh, the characters are based on a family member or a very close acquaintance or a mentor. Um, even the Hurricane Cooper, which is my third son, by the way, who very much <laughs> is a hurricane at times, um, is, is, in the, is featured prominently. But, you know, Michael's character is very much the, um, is a compilation of many of my clients. And at Evolution and at, at Castellon today, what we found was that we had a lot of organizations come to, or a lot of people come to us where they were dropped the assignment of, of business continuity in their lap and they didn't know where to go. Mm -hmm. And one of their first steps was, what is business continuity? You know, and they did a Google search and they weren't sure that there were solutions out there for them, whether it be help, whether it be software, what have you. And so Michael is a combination of a number of different people that had that same problem that they knew a little bit, they kind of made sense to them, but they weren't exactly sure or, well, they thought they may have thought they were sure how to tackle it, but eventually they pivoted to, to looking for some help. And what I would suggest to you is that the other character that features prominently in the book, Ben is probably more of a, a, a compilation of a little bit of me and a little bit of my colleagues at Castellan. See, I, I, when I read it, I thought, I wonder if Mike is Brian, hmm. but it's interesting. Ben is actually you. Ben's a little bit more me. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I had it the other way around. Uh, I do like what you just said about uh, people who had business continuity dropped in their lap because that's exactly what happened to me 23 years ago. Yep. I had no yep. idea. And that's exact, which is probably why, especially at the beginning of this book, I was relating so much because I, I, I could think, of, I went through that. I went through that. Oh, yeah. you know, I wish I knew this back then. And I think the, the other, and there's a number of key characters. The other is uh, the CFO, Andrew, also my middle kid, by the way. And, um, and, you know, Andrew is also a compilation of so many program sponsors out there, some that are very enlightened on the topic and very experienced and others that think they have it. And they're equally open to being influenced by, you know, making, you know, through trial and error and making mistakes. And, uh, and I think that, you know, the relationship between Michael and Andrew is one that I've seen play out over and over and over again. Well, it's interesting that you you talked about the sponsors, and I'm going to jump into a little bit of COVID right now. With COVID, and you know, it's been a year, over a year, year and a half, it feels like, if not longer, at times. Do you think that executives there should even still be an issue with the executive buy-in? I know we're going a little bit off topic here, but no, no, it's fine. It, so. Yeah, I, I think. You you know I think there's 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 two camps out there. One is um, they were significantly affected, impaired to a certain degree, and um, we're not taking it a heck of a lot more seriously. And there's still others that might have been uniquely positioned where they actually benefited from a situation such as this and saw their business actually expand with very little effort, possibly because of the way they were already the way they architected their business, or they were just fortunate based on the the product or service that they delivered. But by and large, I think this is going to be one of those, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a long time to escape our memories. And I think we'll be pointing to this. And by the way, it's, it's getting worse for some people. I mean, think about all of the situations out there from a supply chain perspective that we're hearing and reading about, particularly when 
the supply chain has been affected not just by COVID-19, but a second event. You know, whether we had, um, you know, horrible weather in Texas combined with COVID-19 impacting the petrochemical industry that we're experiencing now. Um, just a wide range of different events. And um, supply chain, if you, you know, look at the Wall Street Journal, look at any business publication today, supply chain issues are, are front page news each and every single day. I mean, I'm personally affected if just, you know, I, I ordered a Ford Bronco uh, a while ago, and now I'm finding out that I'm not even going to get one in 2021. Ooh. And it's all because of one little part, that hard top on the, you know, that, that, that supplier happened to have, you know, been unable to get the equipment to be able to produce the product. So people are experiencing this personally, businesses are experiencing it, of course, and uh, um, it's going to be hard. I, I would, I think from a fiduciary responsibility perspective, you know, it, it, I think executives that fail to learn from this and take this seriously are really in jeopardy and, and should be called, mm -hmm. you know, called, you know, questioned as to why they wouldn't take this seriously if they are affected going forward. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned your Ford Bronco. I, I ended up waiting eight months for a new fridge door. Yeah. <clears throat> because they had trouble getting some of the parts and pulling it all together when normally I probably would have got it in uh, three to four weeks. Yeah. I ended up waiting eight months. Yeah, and if you want a mattress today, you're in trouble because, you know, that's that's the other current personal story many people are experiencing. Yeah. Well, we've come to the end of our first segment. Today, we are talking with Brian Zawada the author of The Business Continuity Operating System, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Today, expertise equals credibility. When you know what to do and how to do it, people follow because they acknowledge that you know more. However, stepping up in your career eventually pushes you out of your comfort zone of expertise. How you lead at those moments requires new skills. We're here to show you how to survive and thrive. Join me, Wanda Wallace, on Out of the Comfort Zone at Voice America Business Channel. You can find more information at Leadership Forum INC. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. We all hear about information security, identity, and privacy threats. The more technology becomes part of our lives, with more data created to provide insights about our lives, the more concerned we need to be. That's why it's important to tune in to Data Security and Privacy with The Privacy Professor. Host Rebecca Harold is an internationally recognized expert in these areas. Rebecca and her guests will let you know how to keep your business and personal data safe. Listen live the first Saturday of each month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. 
Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's info at stone-road.com. Now back to preparing for the unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Brian Zawada, author of The Business Continuity Operating System. And Brian, great first segment. Lots of good information there. Now, in your book, you talk about the right way to achieve resilience. And you have several uh, different uh, components about that. And the first one is frame. What do you mean by frame? Frame is, is, is both a process and a meeting where we're looking to answer four fundamental questions. And, and, um, and if we step back and we said, you know, what is the purpose of the BCOS? It's to complement leading practice, which I'll just say methodology. And it's to bring better focus and engagement to the problem of resilience. Frame brings focus. It answers four questions. It gets leadership together to get on the same page answering four questions. Why are we doing this? Meaning business continuity. What are we trying to protect? What are our key priorities? How much business continuity or how much resilience do we need? That's the third question. And then the fourth is, who needs to participate to make sure we get this right? So in other words, what level of the organization in terms of participation do we need to really take ownership of this? And so the frame meeting or frame process is all about getting an answer to those four questions and ensuring that leadership is on the same page. And what it looks like is essentially a meeting where leadership is together, making sure that in, in encouraging them to debate, get on the same page. But when they leave the room, they're all on the same, they're all on that same page to, and with answers to those four questions. It's not a kickoff meeting, right? Mm -hmm. I've I've heard some people uh, reference that, you know, to have a a kickoff awareness session and then talk about what you just talked about. But you define it a lot better, I think, than some of these other um, definitions that are out there. It's about, yeah, it's foundational. We're getting work done in this meeting. We're getting not, you know, not only are we getting everybody on the same page, we're, we're really setting the direction for the program and the organization when it comes to resilience. Mm-hmm. So it's anything, but let's say I was the one that was facilitating the meeting. It's anything, but me talking to a group of executives for 60 or 90 minutes. It's me facilitating them talking to one another, debating, arguing, you know, questioning one another, but eventually getting, answers to those four questions so that the, now our program has the fuel, that engine has the fuel to be able to propel us to getting to the right level of resilience. Yeah, I, I like that approach because uh, a lot of times it feels as though these information buy-in sessions are mm-hmm. business continuity professionals showing up with, you know, hat in hand, you know, please, please support me, support me. Right. But in this way, I think it kind of goes back to what you said in the first segment. It gets their buy-in and participation right away. Right. We want to make it real for them. And we're asking the right questions to be able to get them to realize that I'm not scoping this by saying which locations are in scope or which boxes on the org chart. I'm starting with the big picture. What are the product services or business services that we, we provide to the customer? You know, what happens? What level of pain are we going to experience? What our customers are experiencing? The market's going to experience. We're talking in a language that they're used to talking about in a boardroom setting. But we, you know, we want to get to the point of using that information eventually to measure the success of the program, the way they measure the success of their business. Good. Your next one, the second point is process. What do you mean by process? Process is, you know, many people will say, 
you know, we have this goal of having a consistent method of execution when it comes to achieving resilience. And so what we're talking about is the process documented and it's a process followed by all. And so those are the two attributes. In other words, what is the, the method by which we are going to go ahead and achieve the right level of resilience? And how do I go ahead and package it in a way that's not intimidating, overly complex? So it's, you know, we enable people and we enable everyone to follow it. Because again, if I expect to have completely ad hoc process changing all over the organization, how can I really expect a consistent high quality outcome? And so again, we're setting another foundational element for success. Just to step off to the side for a moment, how do you define resilience? Well, I'd say when I think of uh, when I think of resilience, I'm going to just I'm going to simplify it down to say bend not break. You know, I'm I'm making sure that the organization uh, is is positioned to be able to achieve um, its commitments uh, to all stakeholders. Um, hopefully, I'm decreasing the frequency of disruption, but I'm also making sure I have a world class response capability as well. And so that's kind of why I summarize it, bend, not break, that Gumby principle, if you will. <laughs> so the next one is participation. Yeah. Participation. And this is where I was saying before, if BCOS is building on methodology and its focus and engagement, this is where engagement starts creeping in. We identified in the frame meeting what is the right level of, of engagement in the organization to get this right. Participation is saying, well, let's get the right roles defined. What are what what do we need to accomplish? What are the what what's the actions that need to be accomplished? But not only that, it's also looking at this through the lens of of getting the right people involved too. You know, you mentioned a moment ago when you said kind of people sometimes approach their executives hat in hand, you know, begging for for help. I think we are we in the business continuity profession are one of the few where we'll take anybody that we can get. And that's, that's a bit of a problem, in my opinion. We need to not, you know, we just got done getting management's endorsement for the level of participation. We need to define the role, its competencies, what to expect out of people, and we need to get the right people in those roles. And if we don't, we're going to get to this in just a moment, but if we don't, we got to set that as an issue and we got to solve for it. So, just, so that kind of leads us to our next one, engagement. Mm-hmm. So many people are, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Alex. Well, I was just going to say now, when we're talking, when you're talking engagement, are you talking um, still about the top team level or are you talking right through the organization? Everywhere, everywhere, up and down the organization, wherever I, you know, if we've got whoever it is that is in the right, in the, the role, the right people in those roles, that's what I'm talking about, engagement. And it could be external to the organization too. You know, one of the things that's interesting, and this is where I go back to saying that we run the program like a business, we can't be afraid to have meetings. Meetings are not a one-way conveying of information. It's meant to be two-way dialogue. We're, we're, working, we're getting work done in these sessions, and most importantly, we're solving issues, things that are getting in the way of achieving the right level of resilience. And so if I've got the right people and, I, and I'm focused on solving issues, it's, it's getting into meetings, the right cadence, the right preparation, demanding the right engagement in those meetings to be able to get work done. And ultimately, that means solving issues. And again, the things that are getting in the way of achieving what we, what we, we identify during the frame meeting. I, I, I agree with you about the meetings. You know, I, with, I also do pro, program and project management. So 
there's always lots of meanings. If they don't have a set agenda or, or a reason to find why you're there and what you want to get out of that meeting, then that's when people create, you know, this mindset of meetings. Oh my God, it's overkill. They just go yeah. nowhere. We're not doing anything. And I, I, it comes down to a structured approach mm-hmm. to actually know what you're going into the meeting and what you want to get out of the meeting. Yeah. And demand, you know, if you've asked people to prepare, demand that they did and don't be afraid to say, you know, probably we're not ready to do this right now. Let's go ahead and, and uh, reconvene when everybody's ready. I mean, it's get, it's really kind of getting into the deep end, getting into the fray and, and holding people accountable. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned uh, also engagement external. So is does this go back to some of the comments you had earlier about the supply chain? You know, mm-hmm. suppliers, where, whether they, wherever they are in that chain. And this is an overlap also into, I think, a couple of key COVID-19 lessons learned is that when we talk externally, it's actually left and right of our organizations. Maybe we deep, deep down, we're looking at our suppliers and, and understanding not only who they are and how well they've been prepared and the way in which we've chosen to engage them and structure the relationship. But we also got to look at the customer too. We got to look at what the customer's expectations are. That's, that's common in, in, mm-hmm. in what people have done with business continuity. But the other part of it is not only what they expect, but also how do we reach them? And not only how do we reach them, but also in different situations, can we expect their behaviors and expect, expectations to change? And um, there's a lot of really interesting, I think there's a lot of really interesting lessons learned that customers might have been fine. We just couldn't reach them because the channel was disrupted because of COVID-19. That's, that's, you know, that's, a, that's a key lesson learned from many of the organizations that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. So the next one is an interesting one, measure. Mm-hmm. So we got done talking about roles, the right people in those roles and engagement. Well, as part of engagement, we can't, we can't really expect that a common set of metrics or a, or a one single scorecard is going to really motivate every single audience. And so if we think about the different types of measurements to be able to understand, are we on track or off track? Do we have an issue? but recognizing that those scorecards and metrics change. So for example, if during the frame meeting, we said, what are we trying to protect? And we were saying, we're gonna do that based on products and services because that's how executives and leadership think. We gotta have product and service metrics. Sometimes people will call those key risk indicators. Mm -hmm. And we also need to have activity and compliance related metrics. Things like when we talk about process followed by all under process, well, are we following the process? And will that, is that process returning solid outcomes, again, resilience related? And so we might be a little bit lower in the organization. Activity metrics are important. Higher up, those product and service metrics are important. And so identifying the right measurables, packaging them, and using them in, during excellent forms of engagement are critical. With measuring, do we run a risk of having audit all of a sudden take over that aspect, you know, because I've talked with a lot of people and a lot of times audit, you know, will measure certain things, but from their own end, you have no idea what it is they're really measuring you against. Right. So in this case, how would audit get involved and, or do we run the risk of audit taking over? Yeah, I think, first of all, I think we have to define audit's role in the program. So it goes back to participation. And I think just like any other role that is performing or not performing, we need to groom them appropriately. For example, um, when an audit takes place, what are they auditing us based on? Mm -hmm. I'd say first and foremost, it better be 
a standard that we subscribe to or that process followed by all that leadership's endorsed. And uh, whatever it is that is our, you know, our North Star, so to speak, audit should be measuring us based off of that. And so they should almost be a second, third line of defense compared to the measurements that we're doing internally on our own and holding us accountable to those. Yeah, I, I've been in situations where audit has announced they will be doing an audit, but you don't know where they got their information from, and you're being all of a sudden held accountable to something you don't even know what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, and they'll write their audit tickets and their audit report and all this and that. So you need to address this when you know you can tell they probably got their information from a Google search. Exactly. You know. That's exactly right. So your next one is improvement. Right. Um, Improvement is made up of three things in the BCOS. It's looking at goals, actions, and experiments. And goals are your longer term, bigger picture efforts that probably can't be done over the course of a couple of weeks. And so think of these as quarterly goals, or maybe it's annual goals. You might even have three-year goals for your program, and everything gets nested underneath it. Um, actions are the, usually the outcomes of some of our smaller issues during engagement. These are the things that we're solving for over the short term uh, between now and our next meeting, perhaps. And then experiments. We want to create the space for people to try things out. They may fail. They may be, you know, it might be something that, you know, the idea just turns out it won't work, but hopefully we learn something from it. It gets, it's a, it's a great engagement and buy-in technique. And it's, it's something, again, it's common to how great businesses are run today is giving employees the latitude to kind of take a risk, try something out, learn from it and see what we can do with it. What would be an example of an experiment? Um, You might, a lot of our clients that are using the BCOS oftentimes are experimenting in different types of strategies to recover. So, for example, you know, they might say, you know, hey, we we have this critical dependency on this third party. We outsourced something, you know, maybe instead of of depending on the supplier to be able to go ahead and shift to be in case their assets are actually impacted. What if we experimented with an insourcing technique and we, we leverage some of the people that have some of these similar experiences that we repurposed elsewhere in the organization when we outsourced? Great idea. Let's try it out and see if it works. Let's test it out. That's that's a form of an experiment. Okay. I just want to be, be clear because that's not usually a term you hear uh, very much with regards to, you know, disasters or business continuity or crises. It's experiment. So Probably not great to experiment in the course of a disruption <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> in a safe space, you bet. <laughs> and the last one is automation. Yep. Automation is also something that, um, you know, when I mentioned in our first session that we delayed the publication of the book a couple times for a couple different reasons, but one of which was, you know, testing and refining and the like. But what we found was that organizations, you know, having a, a pool of data that can be mined to help identify vulnerabilities, to help um, identify opportunities, um, so on and so forth was critical because you need that to help prepare, but you also, it's a great information source to help you understand what's next, what if this, this situation um, continues. But also, organiza- you know, we've also seen a, a smaller and smaller numbers of resources available to help us with business continuity. And we want to save those resources for, to do the more complex tasks, the, one that require, the ones that require human reason. So can I automate workflows? 
can I automate administrative tasks? Can I automate keeping current that data source, that data pool? That's what we're getting at with automation is to be able to go ahead and take those boring, mundane tasks off the plate. And, you know, again, I didn't talk about this in our first session, but one of the motivators for the BCOS wasn't just get to the right level of resilience, but it was also for people that are participating to have a meaningful experience. And if we can go ahead and eliminate those things where I have to do all this boring work that is certainly available to be automated or that I have the right people on the bus, so to speak, to participate in helping us achieve resilience, that's meaningfulness. And I don't think that we're in a profession where we, it's too much to ask for a meaningful experience. And I think you know, we're an important part of an organization's ability to manage risk and, uh, and we gotta take it seriously and people need to take us seriously. And I think on that note, that's a perfect spot to end our second segment. We're talking with Brian Zawada, author of the Business Continuity Operating System. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We are talking with Brian Zawada today, author of the Business Continuity Operating System. Brian, you talked about automation. Now, I just want to take that a step further because I've talked to a lot of people recently about artificial intelligence and automation. And from your experience, have you found that sometimes organizations or practitioners rely too much on the uh, an automated system to give them the answers rather than putting in the effort and the work? Yeah, I think there's, there's plenty of examples where uh, – we have this expectation, if you will, that a, a tool can solve and, a, and eliminate the need for you know, human reasoning. And quite frankly, these types of platforms, they need to be complementary, not a replacement. 
And, uh, you know, there's so many, you know, finding the best people to participate combined with great information sources, AI, so on and so forth. That's really where the magic happens. It's not an either or. Um, but when we bring all the right resources to solve the problem of resilience together, that's, again, where the magic happens. I remember working with uh, a gentleman a few years back um, because you talked about, uh, you know, needing people uh, involved with this. And he said, you know, we can have all the tools and plans in the world. He said, but nothing's going to be good human judgment, making the right calls at the right time based on what you know, rather than uh, utilizing automated systems or even following a plan sometimes. Yeah, and I think in many ways, I think we've experienced that. I mean, sure, we could have, everyone knows that pandemics happen every so many years, that maybe we were a little bit overdue. But inside of that predicted event, there was so much that was unpredictable. And it requires people that are inherently wired to be able to think at different levels, you know, act and make decisions with incomplete information. Um, being able to be very analytic, good communicators, good teammates, look people that with the ability to look, look ahead, be a little bit futuristic in terms of their thinking to anticipate what's next. Not a lot of systems can do all of those things, mm-hmm. but you know, training and finding the right people and training them and, and exercising and learning to work together, that's, again, that's key. Now, we're going to change. Do you have any final thoughts on the business continuity operating system before? Because we're going to jump to a little bit different. No, I, I, you know, the only thing I I'd, I'd just kind of recap on this is that, again, you know, we're when through, you know, we looked at those seven attributes of the BCOS. These are what this, these are what the best programs had in common. And what's interesting and in where programs were, were stuck or not performing well, they oftentimes were one of the seven root causes of poor performance. And so, again, if you're looking for something that's a, you know, methodology-focused BIA to exercise, that's not what this is. This is that wrapper around methodology that helps bring focus and engagement ultimately to get to the right level of resilience. That was the objective uh, with the book and ultimately the, the BCOS. Great. We're, we're going to change gears, like I said, a little bit here because a lot of people may not know this, um, but you actually – caught COVID. I was one of the early adopters. <laughs> well, I don't know if you <laughs> didn't want to be, but <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about your experience and what you went through and how you dealt with it and how you may still be dealing with it? Yeah, I, I think um, it was uh, March of last year. I was over in the UK, um, whether it be in the UK or while I was flying back, um, I obviously came across it uh, about I don't know, seven to 10 days later, um, I became, you know, very ill. Um, pretty much nobody around us had had it. I, I, I think it was the 30th person in the state of Ohio. So that gives you an idea of like confirmed cases. And uh, yeah, I was, uh, it, I was not doing very well for about, you know, 10 to 12 days. And uh, thankfully, it never got to the point where I had to go to the hospital, and, you know, the trouble, you know, the, the breathing aspect of things. But Uh, It was definitely the worst flu uh, feeling I've ever had. And uh, what was interesting was when I got sick, you know, the world was very much open. And when I was cleared to leave my home, you know, whatever that was, I I left in the everything. It was a different world out there when I went to the grocery store for the first time. And, uh, and it was, but it, it definitely influenced a lot in terms of um, how I saw it from the perspective of, of, of a person going through it as part of an organization rather than just looking at it through kind of that, that 
you know, that generic, you know, hey, here's what happens when people get sick. It just, you know, starting to see the firsthand experiences of testing, being cleared, um, worrying about getting it again, all of those types of things. Um, it would, you know, it, it definitely made, uh, it, it was a different, a good perspective, if you will, especially in the profession we're in. Speaking of profession, has it changed the way you work? Knowing that you went through that, you know, I, I'm assuming you're not jumping on a plane right now. Yeah, I mean, it. what it, I think it did was um, it, it showed, I think, overall, I mean, the way in which um, my business was architected that, you know, we were we built resilience essentially into this work from anywhere, be able to have multiple different ways in which to engage and work together. So um, for me personally, want, you know, once, the, you know, I kind of was cleared to kind of or able to even function, I suppose, it was, um, I don't think we missed a beat, but it was, it, it was interesting in that, you know, being able to coach others and understand some of the, the interactions with healthcare professionals, um, boards of health, um, it, it influenced a lot of the ways in which we coached crisis management teams as, as their organizations were starting to find people that worked for them or their suppliers that started um, feeling the effects of this as well as, as obviously the disease spread. I'm assuming uh, you have an office, you know, where, with other colleagues that all, all, you know, go in there. Has is that going to change any time in the future? You know, we're you know we we've done this for over a year working at home. Let's just stay there, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever the case. Any any thoughts on that? Well, we've you know, there's been. Um, I think everybody has a different opinion of of I'm very comfortable working from home or I'm not. I can be more efficient in an office or more efficient at home. I'm one that I love to go to the office. And, um, you know, thankfully, you know, I'm able to do that and um, still do that. Um, and, you know, it's, we've got plenty of social distancing space and we're following all the rules and doing all the right things. Um, I think inherently we're going to be a more flexible, you know, employer at Castellon in terms of being able to work from home and attract talent from just about anywhere, not where we happen to have a physical office. Uh, and I expect that there's going to be a lot of organizations that are going to feel the exact same way. Um, there are pros and cons, of course, getting people together, efficiency, camaraderie, so on and so forth, team building. Um, but I think it's going to be interesting to watch how this all plays out because there were obviously many organizations early on that said, hey, we're never coming back. And yeah, um, yeah. I'm not sure they're going to regret that. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. Um, but I think inherently flexibility is going to be key here. And we're going to look, we're going to see a lot of different ways for people to eventually get together. And it may not be through your traditional office. We'll see. I like what you said about um, you know, talent in other areas. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a way of looking at the current situation as an opportunity. It is. To, you know, if you mentioned in Ohio, so I know Castellan is much bigger than that, but let's just say, you know, you're only in Ohio. So really you're only looking for uh, resources within that state. But with this working from home and the different uh, ways of connecting and interacting, you can now look for talent outside of uh, Ohio and you can look at, you know, California or even another country. Yeah, totally. You know, which which maybe companies wouldn't have even considered before. Yeah, and it's um, and it's also it's had so many interesting, both positive and challenging implications. Um, yes, it opens up the labor pool, but now is a question of um, comp. You know, all kinds of different HR laws, being able to be more flexible and expansive in that regard. So there's a lot of 
there, you know, people are going to have to grow through this. And I think we are nowhere finished with the amount of change in the workplace. Uh, just as pe- more and more people come vaccinated and we, we open the world up more than, you know, we have over the last 12 months. Uh, you mentioned on that point, um, there, there was something interesting I read to, or I read it today in an article, I think CNN or something, that uh, restaurants, and it's happening here where I live, they're having difficulty finding staff as they reopen because those people that couldn't work for a long time took training courses and now are changing careers. Yeah, absolutely. So now I mean, you, the, whole, the, yeah. the workforce has changed. I mean, they're, and uh, they're, I mean, I've even read certain, um, certain retail establishments, um, they've had to reduce hours because they can't find people to fully staff. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 you know, or, or the, you know, on the, on the, on the same front, other businesses have had to completely change it, the way in which they engage their customers because their, their, their habits have changed and will do so permanently. So there's a lot of really interesting implications, both on the employment front and the, and the delivery channel front. Mm-hmm. And, and some of these uh, staying with the, uh, uh, service industry. Um, there's a university here in the city that I live in. You know, it's a small city, but we have a university here. They usually have a lot of their students working in all the bars and the restaurants. Mm-hmm. Well, when COVID hit, many, many of them went back home to live with parents and are mm-hmm. doing distance learning. So now that a restaurant is opening up here in Guelph or is able to open up here in Guelph, the people aren't here. Is you know, it's not that they can't find people who want to apply physically. The people are no longer here, the ones that they used to rely on. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. a, it adds another challenge to them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, you recently uh, also got your vaccine, and you had an interesting experience with that too. Yeah, it was funny. I, I'd I'd heard warnings that those that um, have had COVID before um, might have a different experience in the first vaccine compared to those that hadn't had COVID and maybe they have more of a challenge in the second. And sure enough, um, both my wife and I had COVID and both of us were pretty ill for a good three days. And we'd heard some people have it for, you know, a little bit of fatigue for a day or maybe, you know, felt like they had COVID for a day. We had it for like three days, nonstop. So much so I had to reschedule our, our discussion That's together. That's right, yeah, yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, it was like having about a 60% COVID case for three days. It was what it felt like. And, uh, um, I, you know, I'm still glad that I did that. You know, I mean, I had tested recently for antibodies and I was still very high, but um, doctors still advise, hey, listen, once, you know, a lot of people have needed the vaccine, have had it, get, get in line just get towards the back of the line and follow it all the way through. Because again, it just adds a degree of protection, both for you and society. So we did it and I'm glad we did, but yeah, still, it was a, it was an interesting experience. We definitely got the, uh, the reaction that, you know, you're supposed to have to, to build immunity. Well, I I guess that's a good thing, even though you felt like crap, (laughs) good thing. You got what was expected. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And, And good to hear you and your wife are feeling much better. That's good to hear. Now, we've only got uh, about two, three minutes left. Can you take some time and give some final thoughts on uh, business continuity or resilience? You know, any, any messages you'd like to convey? Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting is that the, um, you, know, our, you know, here we are in the middle of, or hopefully towards the end of COVID-19, we've, we've had a lot of dialogue on lessons learned. There's been some really interesting dialogue that was initially spurred by regulations on the topic of operational resilience even though organizational resilience and operational risk, man, these words are all out there. 
but there was some really good timely introduction of content that initially came from the UK regulators in the financial services space that I think are going to have a lasting impact on our profession and address COVID-19. Um, the idea of, of being able to think about things through the lens, not just of internal pain, but that of the market and customer. Being able to think about um, impact tolerance, which by the way, is very much an overlap of what we did in the frame meeting um, with BCOS. Um, the idea of thinking about the customer more and the delivery channels and, and thinking about plausible scenarios to bring, make it concrete in the minds of executives, what business continuity and resilience delivers. Um, thinking of the end-to-end, -end, which is not just supplier to us, but all the way to the customer and all the channels in between. Um, and being able to truly do end-to-end -end stress testing and, and embarking upon that challenge. This just reinforces really good practice that isn't just all about, again, building resilience, but it's engaging people at a higher level and hopefully speaking in the language of the executive, which is what we're hearing over and over again. And by the way, it's not just about the financial services sector, it's about all. And all sectors are, you know, thinking about adopting these type of principles because they do address many of the lessons learned from COVID-19. So I'm really excited about that. And I, I see that as just another chapter or, you know, the journey of the, the maturation of what we do in, in our profession. Yeah, that's, that's the uh, Bank of England Financial Conduct Authority, if I recall correctly, FCA. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's going to be the, uh, the new or the next, whatever you want to call it, Sarbanes-Oxley. Yeah, in many ways it might. But I'll tell you what, even putting aside regulatory compliance, there's a lot of really good, valuable gems in there that organizations should definitely consider. Yeah, and uh, if I recall, there's some information in there that uh, really hasn't been touched on before. Right. You know, so it's go going to be opening up some, uh, definitely some new challenges and new doors and mm -hmm. opportunities. Yes, for sure. So we've come to the end of our show. Brian, thanks very much and congratulations on the book. Thank you, Alex. Thanks hopefully, for having me today. Hopefully it does well. Thank you. Know, you. Um, check it out. You can get it from uh, uh, your usual sources. And I believe you can also get it from uh, Castellan as well, if I recall. So thank you very much for sharing your time and your expertise and glad to hear that uh, you're feeling much better from having COVID and then getting sick again because of the vaccine. So it's good to see uh, you happy, healthy, and in good spirits. Yeah, thank you, Alex. Thanks again for having me. My pleasure. And to everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.